scriptures from the 8th chapter of Romans, beginning in verse 14. These are the words of Paul. All who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received uh, did not make you slaves so that you would live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received was one into adoption. By Him we cry, Abba, Father. It is His Spirit testifying with ours that we are God's children. And if we are His children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, so that if we share in His sufferings, we too may also share in His glory. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before you're seated, just a word. This is the tenth of ten Sundays where I've tried to talk about how the, the church, especially the Western church, North American church, has gotten off, I believe, the path that God had for the church to travel. But I have to tell you that that only happens if the leaders, the pastors and the leaders of the church go off the path, then the church follows. So what follows is one pastor's story about getting off that path. You may be seated. story is told of Rabbi Levi uh, uh, centuries ago, who was sitting there and a young man ran past him. And Levi said, son, why are you running? And he said, I am chasing my good fortune. And Rabbi Levi said to him, son, you're, you're a silly man. Your good fortune is chasing you, but you are running too fast. I want to tell you this morning that I have spent my whole life running. And not running after good fortune so much as running after something else. A sense of uh, being valuable. A sense of being worthy. A sense of being loved. And I have run hard. And I have run hard for that sense of worth and acceptance and love. And I've run hard toward other people trying to impress them. I don't know if you know these statistics, but it, when they gave them to mainline Methodist pastors and they got the results, the average Methodist pastor on the MMPI, the Minnesota Multiphasic uh, Personality Inventory, pastors score off the charts. They are in the 95 percentile of needing to be affirmed. And I'm one of them. I run hard to try to impress other people. Look at this. Look at my grades. Look at my degrees. Look at my church. And shamefully on occasion, look at my children. Run hard to try to impress others. And, you know, that's a hard habit to break. Yesterday I was with my mother and, and I was saying something. I started to say something. I thought, oh, that, that's not going to come out just right. Mom may not like it. So, so I took it back and rephrased my words. Well, here's the problem. My mom has known me for 53 years. And secondly, as you may know, she has no short-term memory, so she wouldn't remember what I said anyway. But I was going to be impressive when I said it. I've run hard like that. And I've run hard not just toward other people. I've run hard hard toward God. God, sometimes I feel like Peter. Remember what Peter said to Jesus? Lord, we have left everything to follow you. Well, I hadn't left everything, but I'm working full-time at it, God. And they pay me to do it, too. But look at this. And I told the staff earlier this week, I'm like a a cat we used to have who would go out in the backyard and catch lizards and then bring them to the back door for us. 
and, and bring us gifts. And so I'm always trying to figure out what the next gift is I can bring God. Look what I've done this time. Look what we've done in this church. Here, God, take this. I've been running real hard. I think Paul would say this. I think Paul, if you look at his letter to the Romans and to the Galatians, Paul would say, I've been running like a slave. I've been running like a slave. You know, a slave in in Paul's day worked the fields, worked in the house, but really had no share in it or any guarantee that they would be there the next day or the next year to work. So they were always insecure about their position. They, they didn't have an identity. They didn't have a position in the master's house. It was just all it looked like to them, a giant crapshoot. They didn't know if the next day they would even be there. So they constantly, as Paul pointed out, lived in fear. Will there be a place for me? Will there be somebody for me? And when we are in fear, often uh, we live lives of manipulation and control to try to get other people to, uh, to do things the way we want. And, and slaves have to do that. They have to make sure this day was better than yesterday or maybe there won't be a tomorrow. I've been running, said Paul, like, I think Paul would say to me, like a slave. Do you remember Private Ryan? Do you remember what Captain Miller told him before he died? said, you know, when he dies, he'll just make it worthwhile. Live a good life. And so you'll remember Private Ryan going back to Normandy to Captain Miller's grave. And, and he asked this question of his wife. Tell me I was worth it. Tell me. Tell me I'm a good man. That's a slave's question. Tell me I'm worth it. Tell me I have a place. Tell me I have a position. Tell me I'm doing my job right a son doesn't usually ask those questions a son knows whether he's done a good job or not there's still a place in the house tomorrow for him when the sun comes up well i have to tell you i've been running like a slave but i have to tell you furthermore it's tiring i'm running on empty i'm just about had it with running running hard to impress other people it's a difficult thing to do have you ever tried to impress other people with your life have you ever tried to live your life the way you think would please them it's a difficult deal because, first of all, people, quite frankly, are fickle. And they may like you for what you've done one moment and then not like what you've done uh, the next. I remember the great words of uh, uh, Duffy Darty, who years for years taught, um, I was the head coach at Michigan State University for football. And they asked him once, what's the hardest part of your job as a college football coach? And he said this. He said, I am responsible to irresponsible people. Have you ever done that? Have you ever realized how irresponsible we all are? We're trying to impress other people. And here's the funny part. They're trying to impress us. And we're all equally messed up. So we are devoting time and energy so that people who are as broken as we are will think we're not broken at all. Doesn't make sense. It's a hard thing to do to live your life, to try to impress another person. And it furthermore doesn't work because that person quite frankly is not god and the bible's pretty clear that god created all of us to be in relationship with god and to be loved by god so as augustine put it centuries ago there is within each one of us a god-shaped hole in our heart that can only be filled by god and if you try to fill it with awards or your spouse or your neighbors or your job it's not going to work 
it's going to come up empty. And so what we do is we go to other people to love us the way God loves us. And friends, they just they can't do it. They're not God. The late Henry Nowen put it this way. He said, the first love for all of us is the unconditional love of God. God loved us unconditionally from the beginning. He said, the second love is when other people love us. Family, friends, and spouse, and neighbors. And he said, but the problem is, we try to get the first love out of the second love people. So we try to get our spouse to love us, for example, the way God loves us. And he or she just can't do it. Years ago, a pastor was doing premarital counseling, and he asked this question of the bride and prospective bride and groom. Tell me what you expect of each other. What will you be like in your marriage? And so uh, the bride went off with a glowing description of all these wonderful things her husband was going to do for her and be for her. And then when she finished, he got the same question, did the same thing. All the wonderful things the bride was going to do for him. And then the pastor stopped. In the moment of silence, he said, well, I got to tell you, it's not going to happen like that. He said, you are expecting each other to be God. No one can love you that like that. No one can love you that perfectly. Only God. And so from the beginning, they're set up for disappointment because they're expecting broken people, hurting people just like themselves, to love them the way God would love them. It's, it's not a proposition that works. It's not an equation that bounces out. People can't love us the way we were meant to be loved. We were meant to be loved by God, but we go to them anyway. And only disappointment and rejection will follow. Well, it's hard to try to live your life to impress others. It's hard to try to live your life to impress God. I've tried that. I mean, how big a lizard do I have to bring to God's back door? I mean, think about it for a moment. This is the God who created the platypus. This is the God that keeps the planets in their orbit. This is the God that knows how the human brain works. This is the God who's created such wonderful things, and I'm going to come to the back door with something like that? I got nothing. You can never impress God. But here's the deal. According to the Scripture, God's not waiting for you to impress God. It's not what God wants. God doesn't want a bigger lizard at the back door. What God wants is you and me, just to love God. As I told in the last service, God doesn't want our presence. P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. God wants our presence. P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. Like any daddy. God just wants the relationship. That's what God wants. For us to receive God's love and live in God's love. I love what one writer said that I read this week. He said this. He said, we judge ourselves more harshly than God does. We have these things that certainly God must expect of us or want from us or we're not lovable. And so we we set this standard, a standard for which God does not have for us. God wants us to love God and to receive God's love. Writer Bill Hume puts it this way, commenting on the uh, debates between atheists and Christians that happen in our world. And he said this, I don't know about the atheists, but he said, I do know about this. It is much easier to convince a Christian that God exists than it is to convince a Christian that the God who exists loves them unconditionally. We all believe there's God, but to believe that that God believes in us, well, that's a whole nother 
matter. And so we keep running to try to make that God love us. And it just doesn't work. So I've got to tell you, I've been running like a slave, and it's really tiring. I'm running on empty. So I thought for the days and hopefully years ahead, I might just slow down and, and rest and see if that love might catch up with me. The other day I was meeting with a couple of friends who are mentors, and one of them asked me a question that really brought me up short. He said, do you ever stop and take stock of the good things that have happened with God and with you in, in your life and in this church? And he knew the answer. The answer is no. I'm always worried about a bigger lizard, something else to bring to the door. I don't have time to sit and celebrate what God's given me or done for me. Well, now it's time to stop. Rest. That's what a son would do. Because a son knows that even if it all doesn't get done in the field today, the field's there tomorrow and it's still their field. They still have a place in the house. And the place in the house is not dependent on how they did yesterday or how they did today or what they'll do tomorrow. The place in the house is theirs because they are a son. They are a child. They are a daughter. And I think that's how God works with us. But it's a, it's a tough thing. It's a humbling thing to finally admit, God, I, I, I really, they're in the lizard big enough that I can bring you. I'm not even sure I can bring a small one. I read uh, something that really um, attracted me and, and scared me at the same time. Uh, so I read it to the staff. I, um, I want to share with you. It's from a um, guy named Jean Venier. He said this. He said, typically there are two calls in our life as Christians. The first call, he said, is to follow Jesus and to serve Jesus, and to prepare to do great things for the kingdom of God. And when we answer that call, it's exciting, it's uplifting, and our friends and our community generally admires us for it. He said, but then comes the second call, the day you realize that you really can't do anything heroic for the kingdom of God, that you really can't do anything that big for Jesus. And he said, then this call is a call to humility. And a call, he said, to renunciation, to renounce that you could ever do anything to earn God's approval. And I looked at that and I thought, that's where I've been. I remember when I first got here in 1995 and and the excitement uh, as as we are people trying to follow God, we'd follow God to this new location and we were going to do this and we were going to do that and we'd been in the paper and, and all this. And it's pretty exciting. And And some years later... You're not quite in the paper as often. And there's more spaces between people in the pews than there used to be. And you realize, maybe you don't have anything that big for Jesus. That's a tough thing, but do you know what's happening in the middle of that tough thing? I finally get a chance to let God love me just as I am. Not for what I say, what I do, or what I bring, or what we create, but simply because we are. That is an amazing thing that's starting to happen in my life. The less popular, the less successful it seems that I've become or we've become, the greater the opportunity for God to just say, I was waiting for you to get rid of all those masks. I was waiting for you to discard all your achievements. 
I was waiting for you just to let me love you as you are. I'm not there yet. But I'm trying to rest. Trying to be less a slave and more a son. But it's, it's a tough habit for religious leaders. And, and maybe it's hard for you too. I remember a story of Parker Palmer. Some of you who are educators have read Parker Palmer. It does a lot in the field of education. Uh, one day... Uh, he got offered the presidency of a university. And so uh, as a, a Quaker, he, he called together what's called a clearness committee. And what they do is if you have an issue, you bring it before them. Now, they're not allowed to give you the answer. They're only allowed to ask you questions to help you clear up the issue. So they said to him, well, Parker, what would you like most about being a university president? And he said, well, I wouldn't like faculty meetings. And I wouldn't like the fundraising I'd have to do, and I wouldn't like all the meetings I'd probably have to be in. And, and another one inter, interrupted him and said, well, no, no, the question is, what would you like about being university president? And he said, well, I think, you know, I would like to see my picture in the paper and new university president written underneath it, to which the next person asked, Parker, can't you think of an easier way to get your picture in the paper? We, we, wanna, we want that picture. We want to bring that to the world and bring it to God. It's hard just to be human size. Years ago, way before that Parker Palmer, there was another man who was offered the presidency of a larger school. And he, where he was, he was doing a great job. They were doing great things. And, and he really struggled about whether to take this larger position. And he was struggling almost for two weeks. And it was just driving his wife just up the wall, this constant wrestling and indecision. And so one day she found the thing that broke the knot and got through to him. As he thought about this bigger opportunity and this bigger challenge, she said to him, Donald, can't we just grant that you're already a success and get on with our life? And he stayed. Can't we? As pastors, can't we, as Christians, can't we, as Alma Heights United Methodist Church, just grant that we're already a success, that we're already loved, and just get on with the rest of our life? 